Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. And this is The Harmony, your path to wholeness health channel. We have another very interesting guest today. And I'm not going to spoil Kathleen's thunder by talking about the guest, but believe me, she'll be interesting. But first, let's introduce Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you also very much for tuning into our show. And as Peter mentioned, we have another special guest with us today. And we are so delighted to have her back for the third time. Oh my goodness, We it, because this is such a relevant and important topic, we are absolutely delighted to have Robin Smart back. Hello, Robin, how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. <laughs> now, Robin is the Public Education Coordinator for the Alzheimer's Society, Waterloo, Wellington. And today we'll be chatting about this very important topic. And uh, also we will be talking about some tips on how to communicate with people with Alzheimer's or dementia in general. So, Robin, let's let's start right away on the difference between Alzheimer's. And is it Alzheimer's disease or just Alzheimer's? It is, it, Dr. Alzheimer is what the person that the disease is named after. Right. When we're talking about it, there is an S on it because it becomes Alzheimer's disease. It is right. his disease, so it becomes a possessive S. Okay. Um, but having said all that, here's and, the important stuff. Here's right. what you need to know. When we're talking about Alzheimer type dementia, it is only one type of dementia. There are many, many, many different types. And the word uh, dementia is often used interchangeably with the term Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that would be very confusing for people. When you develop dementia, what happens is that your brain has been affected by some kind of organic disease process. And you start to have shifts in your abilities. You start to notice symptoms. You can't function the way they used to. You can't think the way that you used to. And these changes in our functional ability, they show up in changes in memory, language, judgment, ability to perform daily tasks, communication, judgment, reasoning, and changes in personality and in behavior, those shifts, they show up and those, that laundry list that I just made of all the, all the different symptoms are called dementia. When somebody has dementia, it is simply a list of symptoms that accompanies a disease that affects the brain. So you could get dementia from Alzheimer's disease. And that's the most common reason somebody would exhibit dementia. Alzheimer's disease would attack the brain, usually starts about 20 years before you even see the symptoms. Then you see changes in somebody and you go to get that checked. And if it's not some acute situation that, that is reversible, that they can treat, then they're left with the possibility that it's dementia. And there are multiple kinds. As I mentioned, Alzheimer's is the most common kind, but you can have vascular dementia or Lewy body dementia or frontotemporal dementia. Uh, there are numerous different kinds. Anytime you get dementia under the age of 65, they call it young onset dementia. Mm -hmm. it, that has to do with age more than type because young onset dementia could come from Alzheimer's disease 
or it could come from one of what we call the FTDs or the frontal temporal dementias. If you were to look at the research, you would just shake your head because it's so difficult to pin down how many different types of dementia there are. Depending on the sources that you read, you will see anything from 70 to 200 different or causes of dementia. Really? So when you talk about Alzheimer's, you are talking about one One. type, just one type of dementia. So how how does one differentiate between the onset of of dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's or not, and normal, the symptoms of normal aging, like some memory loss, some uh, forgetfulness. <clears throat> what are some of the distinguishing factors, wh- whether you one could tell yeah. if you have got starts of dementia or if yeah. it's just a normal aging? I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh, two for one here for you. I'm gonna take okay. that question that you just gave me, and I'm gonna give you four answers. And at the same time, I'm going to uh, bring in the the warning signs. I'm going to talk okay. about the warning signs because I think they tie in beautifully at this point. So how can you tell the difference between normal and abnormal aging? When you get up in the morning, you probably need to figure out what day it is, especially mm-hmm. if you're retired or you're on holidays. You need to think about it. What is today? Okay, so today it's Monday. It's the 25th. The month is September. However you figure that out, it doesn't matter. You can look at a calendar. You can flip on a radio. You can grab a paper if you still get a daily paper. You can put on the computer. You can put on the television. But once you figure out it's Monday, you should be able to hold that thought for the rest of the day. Okay. If you're coming back to check in half an hour and an hour later, and at you know later in the afternoon you're saying what's what's today? What's today? Then that would be a concern. You should be able to hold it for 24 hours. If you recognize somebody, um, an acquaintance, um, but you can't think of their name, that's fairly normal. It's frustrating. Mm. It's embarrassing, mm-hmm. but it's relatively normal. When you can't think of the name of your nearest and dearest, then that is a concern Mm -hmm. or somebody close to you or somebody that you speak to regularly, then that would, that would be a concern. If you have an event that happens in your life and you literally forget about the event, the details of it, but the whole event, then that would be abnormal. If the three of us decided we've had such good times on the yakking show together, why don't we get together and go have coffee some morning? Mm-hmm. So we all go out for coffee together. If I'm living with dementia and you phone me a week later and say, you know what? That was such a nice time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's do it again in about six weeks. And I say to you, what are you talking about? I, I've never been out with you. We didn't go for coffee. It's a nice uh, okay. idea, but but what didn't happen? No, Peter, it's in your dreams. So if I forget the whole incident, that's a concern. If mm-hmm. you call me up and say, had a good time at coffee, I'd like to go for coffee again, and I can't remember what you ordered, 
or what your special latte mix was, or if you had a cookie or a donut with it or what you wore, that's normal. But to forget the incident itself, so, that would be ab. Okay. Okay. That Got would it. be abnormal. Now this one, this one, everybody is going to relate to. So just listen up and bear with the whole story. You go somewhere and you can't remember what you went for. <laughs> you were in the kitchen and you went to the basement and at the foot of the stairs, you're going, why? Why am I here? Why? Absolutely normal. So okay. here's the situation. If you get to the foot of the stairs, let's say it was me. Let's say I was, I make soup. I made soup yesterday. I made quinoa, sweet potato soup yesterday. I needed my giant stock pot to do that because I was making a double batch of soup. So I was in the kitchen chopping the veg and I thought, oh, I got to go get the, the soup pot. And I get to the bottom of the stairs, the basement stairs where I keep my giant stock pot. If I get there and I don't know that I was on a mission, I think, oh, I'm down in the basement. You know what? While I'm here, maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just take a tackle at the ironing. I can see it sitting over there on the ironing board. If I forget that I was going for something, that is a concern. Okay, okay. But okay. if I get to the bottom of the basement stairs and I go, golly, what was I here for? I can't think of it. And I take a few deep breaths and I calm myself down and it floats back to me, normal. If I can retrace my steps, I get back upstairs, usually about halfway up the stairs, I think, oh, I know what I was after. But maybe I go all the way to the kitchen. Oh, yes, I needed the stock pot. I'm making soup. As long as I can re-cue myself, it's normal. Mm -hmm. Often what happens to us is that uh, as we age, we don't multitask as well. Mm -hmm. And we could easily be multitasking, trying to do a couple of things and mm -hmm. maybe listening to a fabulous podcast while we're doing them. And so we don't really focus our attention and we get to the foot of the stairs and we can't remember what we went for. Uh, we tend not to concentrate very hard. And sometimes that plays into why we forget. So as long as we can re-cue yourselves, we don't have to worry. Don't have to worry. Okay. Oh, that, that's a very good explanation. Oh, and, and quite a relief for me too. Uh, I won't have those sort of agonizing moments now at the bottom of the basement stairs wondering why that's I'm right. down there. <laughs> You're panicking for no reason, Peter. Oh, that <laughs> happens to me too. Uh, yeah. I have another question for well, you, um, Robin. And it's one where, you know, I, recently I was with somebody that had an MRI of their brain, not because they were, mm -hmm. there was concern about um, dementia or anything like that, but they had an MRI of the brain. Mm -hmm. and they're in their um, mid 80s. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe. If there was something there, if there was, you know, if there was an indication that there's cognitive decline, they might see it on the scan and reveal it at that point, although they weren't looking for it. Is that, mm -hmm. is that, are these are conditions that they have specific things that they're looking for on these MR? Because all I heard was it's normal for somebody of that age. Of that age. What they would be looking for, Kathleen, is to eliminate other reasons that somebody might be struggling. They'd be looking, is there a tumor there? Is there a stroke lesion? Um, it's not a definitive diagnosis to go under the MRI machine or go into the MRI machine and have a brain scan is not a definitive diagnosis. Oh, okay. It is 
part of a whole um, array of tests and tools designed to eliminate other possibilities that people are struggling. Okay. So let me go back and just give you some examples of what mm -hmm. people might struggle with mm -hmm. that might get them to the doctor's office so that the doctor might say, all right, let's make sure it's not X, Y, Z. Let's do a whole workup. Let's do a physical. Let's do some paper pencil tests. Um, when we're looking for dementia, there is no definitive test. Oh, Okay. No, there's no definitive test. It's a process of elimination. Mm -hmm. So it, what? it doesn't appear, it doesn't, the brain doesn't undergo changes then. The brain does undergo changes, but uh -huh. you're not going to diagnose dementia based on an MRI. Okay. You're going to use that MRI if you even have one um, as part of a, a, an entire toolbox of assessments before you come to the decision about somebody having uh, mm -hmm. some form of, of dementia. Okay. What is more likely is that the doctor will want to know about the following 10 situations in your life. They're going to mm -hmm. want to know about memory. Are you struggling with short-term memory? And here, Peter, you were asking normal from abnormal. How do we discern? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say for all of these things that I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes, all these 10 signs, one is memory. The measuring stick is, does it interfere with your ability to function on a daily basis? Okay. okay. We all forget things. Mm -hmm. We all have times that, you know, we, we struggle to remember things. But does it interfere with your ability to be independent, to function daily? So number one would be memory loss. The thing is, not all dementia start with memory loss. That's another myth. That's oh, interesting. Nice myth. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at the frontotemporal dementias, you tend to see changes in language or behavior, judgment, and reasoning long before you see any memory impairments. Okay. So, can you give us an example, Robin? Um. There are several semantic dementias um, that come under the frontotemporal dementia uh, field. People uh, struggle for words. They lose their vocabulary. They do not understand words. They have trouble articulating. They cannot put sentences together. But their cognition is intact and their memory is intact. Mm -hmm. Or you might see somebody who has very good memory but is starting to um, act in a very disinhibited way that would be very, very different from their past uh, behavior baseline. Um, things that would be even perhaps uh, dangerous, um, in, inappropriate socially, uh, maybe even illegal. You know, they might think if they had a frontotemporal dementia, impulse will, will over run and they might think oh that's um that's a really beautiful pen on that person's desk i would love to write with that pen and they might walk off with the pen and not recognize that that was mm -hmm. not a norm not the way to behave mm. so it's memory loss that affects day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. and it's difficulty performing familiar tasks 
And these are things that you can't measure yourself against anybody else, only yourself. Um, but let's say I was cooking eggs. I, I'm a relatively good cook, if I do say so myself. So I'm a decent cook. I know that if I'm going to make scrambled eggs, I'm going to be very cautious not to get any eggshell into the egg right. mixture that I'm feeding up. But maybe if I am struggling with a dementia that is affecting my ability to do everyday tasks, I think, oh, I know I have to crack the egg and I just drop the egg into the pan and stir up the shell and the egg together. Um, Problems with language. This is even different than, than a semantic dementia where you literally lose all of your language. This is maybe you struggle for nouns and you can't follow pronouns. Um, you Everything's a thing. I have a thing on my desk that I drink out of and I have a thing on my desk that I write with and I have a thing on my desk that I cut with. But if I'm struggling, that is exactly, I, I'll just call them all a thing. Hand me the thing. I want the thing. Could you give me the thing? And the person is like, what? You got eight things on your desk. So struggle with vocabulary. Robin, Uh, sorry, I've got to ask you on that one. Trouble with doing everyday tasks for how a thing like tying tying shoelaces, that could also be aggravated by arthritis, by lack of mobility in the hands. And it might not be to do with dementia. So how how do you check that one out? If you're only having trouble tying your shoelaces and you're not having trouble with all the rest of your life, then you're having trouble with tying your shoelaces. And so you want to get curious. Now, why? Why can't I tie my shoelaces? Oh, I can't bend my fingers. Right. Okay. And I want to take that shoelace example, Peter. Yeah. You have somebody who has fairly advanced dementia and they often actually retain what we refer to as overlearned or body memories. And they could probably not understand you when you said, oh, your shoelace is untied. Better tie your shoelace. And they don't do anything. But when they glance down themselves and see it's untied, they bend over and tie it right up. Okay. Okay. So um, you are right. You can have difficulty with everyday tasks due to aging, period. It can be mobility issues. It can be visual issues. It can be auditory issues. There are many reasons that as we age, we struggle Mm. to do things. But if you are struggling because you can't figure out how to work the coffee maker that you've been using for the last 15 years, then that's a different kettle of fish. That's a different yeah. Arthritis beside beside that. Um, People will get disoriented. And, you know, I, I think it's probably relatively common knowledge that many, many, in fact, six out of 10 people living with dementia will have a a situation in which they are lost. They are disoriented. They don't recognize where they are. They can't find where they need to go. Um, And people often think that that would come late in the disease journey, but it actually can be one of the first warning signs. It can come early. And so I'm going to put a plug in for a website called um, www.findingyourwayontario.ca. And if you are the least concerned about anybody uh, having a missing incident, I recommend it strongly. That was www.findingyourwayontario.ca. Okay. 
Um, impaired judgment. Um, you know, I hate to think about winter coming. To me, that's a bit of a depressing thought. <laughs> Sorry to the skiers and the skaters in the world. But uh, when I think about winter coming, one of the um, things that I have seen happen for people living with dementia, and this is a great example of impaired judgment, is that they will literally go outside in a blizzard, not dressed appropriately. They might mm -hmm. have slippers on or maybe don't just have sock feet. They won't have a coat. They won't have a hat. They won't have a scarf. They won't have gloves. They'll go out for, for some reason that is important to them, you know, that they think they have to go somewhere or do something. So very poor judgment. That's things that are untoward that would show up. Um, problems with abstract thinking. And you tend to notice this when people can't manage money um, mm -hmm. in that they don't recognize the coins. They can't tell a five from a 10. They can't tell a loony from a toonie from a quarter. And it's not a visual impairment. They can see them. They can tell you, oh, look, this one. But they don't understand the abstract concept of money. It also shows up with memory impairment, people overpaying their bills or underpaying their bills. So the hydro gets cut off because they haven't paid it for X amount of time or um, they've, they've paid enough for the next four years. Mm -hmm. so, well, yeah, trouble that way. Misplacing things. All right, let's fess up. Have any of us on this call ever lost anything? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. We all do this, but this misplacing things for people living with dementia is more so, it's much more extreme. They, they often have a tendency to put things in very strange or different places. They might put their biscuits upstairs in the lingerie drawer, or they might put their CDs in the freezer, or they, they might put their wristwatch in the sugar bowl with sugar in it, right? Um, so strange, putting things in strange places. You might but, all- Robin, yeah. sorry, on that, after the event, will they remember where they put that no. thing in the wrong place? No. Hmm. Not often, nope, nope. It's just gone until somebody finds it. And sometimes things are just gone forever. Mm -hmm. You know, just gone forever. Right. So- yeah, yeah. And, and what about it, the losing your train of thought? So you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody. I mean, goodness, this happens to me. <laughs> Where you just, you know, you're just in the middle of conversation. And then all of a sudden, what was I saying? <laughs> or <laughs> I think if you have a lot of thoughts swirling in your head, and yes. here you are trying to host the show, you're trying to listen to me, you're trying to think of your next question, you're trying to actually take the information I'm saying and relate it to your life. Mm -hmm. And you're you're juggling all those things at the same time. Right. I think it would be more concerning if you're losing your train of thought in a one-on-one -on -one social conversation with somebody and you get halfway through a sentence and you stop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very hard for people living with dementia often to keep up with conversation because they process more slowly. Mm -hmm. But I'll talk about that when I talk about the communication, if that's okay with you. Yeah, Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. In fact, so there's the carrot. Stick with us, folks. There's a <laughs> carrot on communication coming. I want to talk just about the last three warning signs. Sure. Because I, I think these are important for people to know about. 
One has to do with changes in mood and behavior. Whereas people might have been pretty level in the past, all of a sudden they tend to be very anxious or they have sudden mood changes to um, elation or or tears or anger. And and it just seems to come out of the blue. Um, And and that has to do with, with just very sudden mood swings and you, you, you can't figure out where they're coming from. In a way, it almost seems related to changes in personality. And they're driven by changes in the brain and the brain chemicals and the brain hormones due to disease process that causes suspicious and people to be suspicious and paranoid and usually quite anxious and agitated. And those changes come from those changes caused by the breakdown, the organic Mm -hmm. breakdown in the brain. And then the last thing, number 10, and I want to put that out there because this is often the first thing that gets somebody to go get checked, is something that is a lack of initiative. People literally, they lose interest in friends, in family, in their favorite activities. Their get up and go got up and went. And it's not my foot sore, so I don't want to go downstairs and you know, join the others, you know, in the common room. Um, It's more like they just literally do not think to engage. They don't think to have conversation. They don't think to start things. Um, It's like a little switch in the front of their brain gets turned off. Mm. They can enjoy things if they are supported and encouraged and helped to do it, but they never initiate. They never start. So those were those were the ten warning signs. Warning signs, right? Very interesting. And those are on our website. I know we'll give all the website information at the end of the show, uh, but in great detail. I just whiz through them for you. So, Robin, at what point should I accept that my elderly parent is no longer capable of looking after himself or herself? It's never easy to see, is it? Mm, It's a hard journey. It's a hard road, elder care is. There is no one definitive answer. Every family will be different. Every situation is unique. But Mm -hmm. I think there are four marking posts that I personally would be looking at. Okay. Nutrition. Is the person able to adequately feed themselves? Are they eating healthy food? Are they eating enough food or are they eating way too much food? When you go to visit, is their food rotting in the back of the fridge? When you open the fridge, is the same amount of food that you put in there last Saturday when you brought them groceries still sitting there? So you want to look for for weight loss, weight change, weight gain. Or you take them out somewhere and it's like they've never seen food and they're just stuffing everything they can get into their face. So you want to you want to really uh Be aware, if you can, with your own eyes on the situation, because often if you ask somebody, are you eating? Of course I am. Of course I'm eating. And that's not to put you off. That's often due to the memory loss. They think they've eaten when they haven't eaten. Or due to the fact that they still believe they can cook and clean and do everything they used to do, but they can't anymore. And so it's not working out well for them. So I would be checking on nutrition. I would also be really on top of medication. 
if they have medications that are really super important to take in a certain way or at a particular time, I'm thinking of Parkinson's meds, heart med, blood pressure med, diabetes meds, and many, many others. That's not an exclusive list. But if they're not taking their pills, are you seeing fluctuations due to that? Are you finding too much medication left at the end of the month? Are you finding pills in strange places? Um, are they not ending up renewing their prescriptions? So check on meds. Um, safety issues. Are they literally safe in the house? Can they get up and down the stairs? Can they uh, use the telephone? Can they, do, do they know what to do in an emergency? If you said to them, oh, I hope it never, never happens. But what if there was a fire in the house? What would you do, mom? And mom says, oh, well, you know, I've got that bucket with the mop. I'd get the bucket and I'd fill some water and I'd, you know, try to put the fire out. I might be worried if mom said to me, heck, I'm out of there. I'll go right over to Jean. That's the neighbor across the road. I'm going over to Jean. Jean will help me. I'm getting out of the house. Or if mom says, I'll call 911. Those are reasonable answers. I might feel better about mom's safety. If mom says, well, I'll call the operator. I'm going to do a little more investigating, right? <laughs> so there's safety issues. Are they trying to climb ladders that they aren't safe on? Are they trying? There's all sorts of things. So think about home safety. And then you might want to think about incontinence. If you're coming in and there are indicators, perhaps there is a lingering odor that alerts you to the situation, or perhaps you're finding um, evidence of incontinence, or or you sit on, mom says, oh, sit here, I was just sitting here, you sit here, and, and it's damp, you know, mm -hmm. so check check these things out. If, if they can't uh, manage the in incontinence, that would be a red flag as well. Right. Oh, and and tight, tight to incontinence would be gen, general hygiene. Um, are, are they showering or bathing as often as they should? Are they cleaning their teeth or cleaning yep. their dentures? Yep. That that would come along with that, presumably. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. You're spot on because good oral hygiene is actually related to um, good health, good brain health. That's right. And it's also related to the ability to eat and ingest properly. So oral hygiene is is huge. You're absolutely right. Good, good call can on I, that one. Can I go back to something you mentioned just now? You mentioned Parkinson's yeah. disease. And we have, yeah. we have a member of our family a little younger than me, so probably not quite 70, who has been diagnosed with Parkinson's about a year ago and mm -hmm. is, 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 I think, on suffering from dementia because terribly anxious, absolutely no initiative whatsoever, um, anxious to the state of paranoia, thinking everyone's mm. out to, or the world's out to get him, uh, and really in a bad, bad way. Is that a symptom of Parkinson's? I, I shouldn't ask you this because you're not a doctor, but is that common with Parkinson's, um, people with Parkinson's? People with Parkinson's can certainly have depression, and they certainly can have dementia. I, I feel for that gentleman, that person, and I certainly feel for the family around them. I would encourage a couple of things. Be in touch with the Parkinson's Society. They have excellent targeted information. Oh, um, okay. And, yeah, I would definitely be uh, be looking them up. And I would certainly be having um, 
I would make note of these things. What are the kinds of things that make you say the person is paranoid? Uh, how often is he anxious? Is there a time of day? I would start to be journaling this as a as a care provider, as a family member. I'd start to be making notes so that when you go to the doc, because you're going to follow up on this sort of a situation, you can't leave somebody in, in that kind of turmoil, no. um, then you have information. You have clear data. This is what's happening. This is how often it's happening. This is when it's happening. And sometimes you can find a pattern to it that can help you sort the situation out. Great. So, Thank, yeah. Thanks, Robin. Le leading, on, leading on from uh, how you answered Kathleen's question, you've, you've looked at those four indicators and you, you say me, I'm now concerned about one of my parents or both of them. And they check all those four four warnings of showing red flags. How do I talk to them? Do I do I come to you for or your organisation <laughs> for advice? How do you start the process without without causing a permanent rift in the family? Well, you know that's. I'm so glad you said that, Peter. Without causing a permanent rift, that is so important. I've got to say that in in my opinion, relationship trumps logical facts mm -hmm. oh yeah you've got to keep the the you want communication later you've got to keep the relationship going to answer your impossible to answer question <laughs> seriously mm -hmm. um it really varies it depends on the situation it depends on whether the parent has insight into their situation or not it depends on what kind of support they have. Is there another partner? Are there other family members around? It depends on whether the parent might still see you as a child, no matter how old you are. You can get to be 85. And if your mom is 105, you're still her little boy. Yep. Yep. That's just the way we work, basically. So um, sometimes that's a tough road because they are, in their minds, the parent and you are the child. So you have to be a little uh, delicate there. Um, sometimes the family member will have something. This is a big word. Don't worry about the word, but, but take the concept from this. They'll have something that's called anosognosia. I don't know if you've ever heard that word anasognosia nope. and what it translates to if you translated it out is loss of knowledge of illness and it's a condition where the person loses their insight and literally can't see their own deficits it's not denial it's it's a paradox they forget that they forget they don't know that they don't know it's not deliberately refusing to see but it's an unawareness of mm -hmm. of their changes and an inability to appreciate the consequences of these changes and you can talk till you're blue in the face mm -hmm. but they're going to go on believing what their brain is telling them and their brain says oh you're okay you're doing fine in fact you're pretty darn good for your age um so you have to be aware of whether there is receptive soil and that's not just emotionally receptive. That is the ability to understand and appreciate the consequences of your words. Right. Right. Sometimes family dynamics play into this or, or longtime personality traits. I mean, it's it's not easy 
And sometimes um, trying to to explain people need more assistance falls on deaf ears because when we're talking about dementia, we're talking about something that that grows slowly over time. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's just your new normal and you become so accustomed to it and so used to it, you don't see the problems, the parent. You can't see the forest for the trees when you're in the middle, when you're living in the middle of it sometimes. So all of those things can can play into it. But I think the harder you try to push somebody to see things your way, Mm. the more resistive they tend to become. And you can have logic, you can have reasoning, you can have right on your side doesn't matter but that's right that's right and that's where you do want to get support you might need support through the family doc you might need support because some people still really respect what the doctor has to say to them you might need support through the Alzheimer's society and we are here to help um you you might need support from somebody else maybe somebody just a little more close to the family but not the daughter or the son can speak and be heard. I yep. mean, there are many ways to to look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Robin, how does someone overcome the feeling of guilt of abandoning an elderly parent to a nursing home in order to make their own life more manageable? I think there's two things. I'm not going to take guilt apart. We only have a little bit of time, but... Mm-hmm whether guilt is the right emotion perhaps regret Mm. is a better emotion right but let's go with this word abandoning because you don't have to abandon somebody when they go and move to a a different living circumstance whether it's a retirement home or a long-term care home or with another relative when you use the word abandon, I think we picture a little foundling wrapped up in a blanket mm. left on steps somewhere, right? Right. If Even if you move to Australia or you get a new job or you, you, you want to follow your grandchildren and they're in BC and your mom's still out here in Ontario, for whatever reason you have to leave, you can, through the magic of technology today, You can work with the home and you can work at staying in touch with the home, the staff at the home and your your family member. And you can enlist staff's help to keep you in touch. They can help set up the iPad, get them to the telephone, make the Zoom call, right? Whatever it takes. You can work with the home. So unless you're planning to never speak to the person again or the home again, I'm not sure abandon is really accurate right you maybe it's just their feeling that yeah yeah, you will Mm -hmm. become a long distance caregiver right if you have to move away but let's say you don't let's say you you're living right here in and you can go visit them on a regular basis Mm -hmm. someday i hope you invite me back to do a visiting talk because that is a two-hour session unto itself Mm -hmm. but you can go and visit you can there are no restrictions 
other than if COVID has hit and we are under lock and key, all of us, uh, long-term care homes do not have restrictions. You can visit. You can visit in the morning. You can visit in the afternoon. You can go in the evening. You want to do what's reasonable for, for your family member. But you can be there. You can be part of the family council. You can be uh, a volunteer there. Uh, just because somebody changes their their living situation doesn't mean that you have abandoned them. Abandoned them, right. I want you to think of a, a pyramid. I wonder if I can make my fingers look like a decent pyramid. If you think of a pyramid for a minute, when you look at that, that's really the most stable structure in the world. And when somebody goes to live in long-term care, the three sides of the pyramid are the family, the person, and long-term care. And together, you know what? Sometimes you make a more stable team than before. Right? And before, right? Yeah, so, good point, so good point. It's not so, always right. I'm, I'm watching the clock, and we, we are okay. getting getting there. But I've, I've got one I've got to ask you. What can we do, like, as we get into our late 60s, in my case, 70s, Kathleen's still way away from it, but... What can we do to prevent the onset of dementia? You know, I've read about um, using the non-dominant hand for writing, uh, learning to play a musical instrument, learning a new language, and I do all of that. Is there more? Does it help? Two parts of the there question. Are. Yes, it helps. It is never too late. Never, ever too late. Doesn't matter how old you are. Not too late. And I'm going to give you 12 things. Mm. What you rhymed off, Peter, were things that come under... Um, uh, cognitive challenge right? or challenging your thinking. This is what you want to do. And these are not rank ordered. I'm just going to give you the 12 as they pop out for me. Um, protect your, your, your um, heart. You want, you, you need a healthy heart to have a healthy brain. So mm -hmm. you want to do heart smart diet. You want to do heart smart exercises. You want to have, um, a lifestyle that that supports a healthy heart, protect your heart, because they are so interrelated. You also want to protect your head. You don't want to take a blow to the head. You don't want to trip and fall. You want to really be aware of, of uh, how you can increase your balance as you age, how you can make your house a safe place to be, how you can avoid damaging your, your brain by hitting your head. You want to be physically active every day. People think cardio is enough and cardio is important, but absolutely equally important strength training, particularly for you don't have to do dumbbells, but strength training and balance exercises. Those are super, super important with your physical activity. You want to be socially active. Isn't that nice to know? We should be going out for coffee. The idea is that the more connections you have, you don't have to have many, many, but if you have some good, strong connections in your life, that's very protective for your brain. Every time we are socially connected to somebody, we have a conversation, it's good for our brains. Right. Um, you want to manage any medical conditions. Maybe you do have Parkinson's. Maybe you have diabetes. Maybe you have COPD. Maybe you have arthritis. Maybe you have glaucoma. I mean, the list goes on and on. Manage those other medical conditions. If you have high cholesterol, if you have high blood pressure, get that treated. 
Um, Peter, you gave us some great examples to challenge your thinking. Doing anything new or different. Variety is the spice of life. Don't do the same old, same old. Your brain will go into autopilot and you'll just coast and you won't build any new neural pathways. You've got to have, just like you have to sweat a bit to when you exercise, you got to make your brain sweat a bit. You have to think on things. Get a good night's sleep. That is huge. Um, have depression treated if, if it's something that is, is in your life. Um, there are new alcohol intake guidelines out. I'm going to suggest that you avoid excessive alcohol. The guidelines suggest you avoid all alcohol. Um, maintain your hearing. This is super, super important. I go for a hearing test. Well, I just went for one and they said I don't have to go back for two years. But um, I recommend people go annually and get their hearing checked because there is a huge correlation between hearing loss and uh, developing dementia. Having meaning in life, finding purpose in life, Mm -hmm. Whether this is a passion that you have or you want to go out and make a difference in the world, but finding meaning is really important. My daughter just gave me for my birthday the um, the five-minute journal. It's, it's a book that's out. And every day you look at your gratitudes mm -hmm. and um, look at maybe some some goals that you might have. These sorts of things, looking at our gratitudes and being appreciative, it's healthy for our brain. It's good for us. Um, and you want to uh, adopt um, healthy behaviors that you're going to keep up with. Don't have such lofty ideals. I think I'll learn Chinese, take up calculus, and climb Mount Everest. <laughs> Pick things that you can realistically do and you will do. And then when you want to make a change, just take on one change at a time. Right now, my change that I'm working on is getting more water. When I've managed to get up to what I want to drink in a day, I will take on my next challenge because that will have become incorporated into my lifestyle and I'm ready to take on another thing. So does that help? Oh, yes. Thank you. And yeah, that's very good. Very, very, very useful. So, so Robin, assuming that the diagnosis is there, we already mm -hmm. established that uh, our parent has either Alzheimer's or some type of dementia. How do family members talk to somebody? How how does how do you make how, how kind of what kind of conversation can you have with with somebody that has I... dementia? I'm going to back us up just a titch, Kathleen. It's such a good question. And I want people to get this because it'll make a difference in their lives and the person with the diagnosis. When you have, for example, Alzheimer's type dementia, we have many different memory systems. Mm -hmm. uh, but the two that I'm going to talk about really are short-term, long-term and declarative semantic. So we have memories for facts like Who's the prime minister right now? Uh, what uh, exact date did you get married on? And, you know, detailed facts. Those things take a terrible hit. Those things get damaged and seem to disappear. Mm -hmm. 
What doesn't get damaged so much is the ability to, well, certainly the ability to feel emotion remains. Um, and yep, an emotional memory remains. And the ability to have an opinion, engage and interact with people, that piece stays. It's the detail piece that gets so damaged. People tend to have trouble with short-term memory and tend to have intact long-term memory. So I say give up the quizzing. Get rid of the questions. Stop asking questions. If you're asking questions from the person living with dementia because you kind of want to gauge where they're at and how they're doing, you find another way to get that information because that is not going to enhance communication or relationship. Mm -hmm. That is going to damage it. The person living with dementia will know you've asked a question and they are either going to do one of two things. They will give you an answer they think you want to make you happy or they will go, well, I don't know. I don't know. Gee, I don't know. And that is so demeaning and and very uh, wearing and disheartening. So get rid of questions. You can start a conversation by walking in and saying, you know what, Peter, I love the color of the shirt you're wearing today. That is such a sharp color of blue. I really like that. And then we'll see where the conversation goes. Peter might say, hey, blue is my favorite color. Peter might say, oh, this shirt, you know what? I had two others like it. I liked it so much, about three at once. Who knows what Peter's going to say? But he can't give me a wrong answer. There's no wrong run, answer. Right, right, right. And, and we can kick our conversation off. So I always start with either a compliment or something that in, in what we call the here and now that both people can see. And you've got lovely calla lily behind you, Kathleen. So if you were a person living with dementia and I came to visit you after I might, you know, admire your clothes or whatever, I would say, oh, this calla lily, it's lovely. And we could both turn and look at the calla lily and kick off a conversation. It might go to flowers. It might go somewhere completely different, but there's no wrong answer. When you walk in and you say what's new. What's the person with short-term memory loss going to tell you? Mm-hmm. They can't mm-hmm. do that. Uh, and even if you say, how'd you sleep last night? If people have short-term memory loss, they'll give you an answer. But I would lay dollars to donuts. They're giving you a social answer right. as opposed to an answer. And, 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 then, and that's going to stop any stop the conversation developing because you shut yeah. it down right at the start, right? So here, here's a few things that I really like to do. And families need to practice this because it's hard. We get in our routines and we have our ways that we've always been. And I'm introducing something new, but tell yourself it's good for your brain. Okay, families, it's good for your brain. Try to get this one on board. I'm going to ask you to give up questioning and quizzing, but I'm going to invite you to say, I was thinking of the time instead of do you remember don't you remember or even i remember because that makes it look like i remember and you don't so i start conversations with i was thinking of the time and then i tell part of a story they can either jump into the story 
Oh, yes, that's the time Fred brought a dog and a cat together. It was crazy. They can jump into the story or they can decide, mm, no, tell me more. And then you go on telling the story and then they can make a comment. You can always solicit opinion. You can bring things. Um, when I show up to visit, I I now have a smartphone. Well, I guess most people have a smartphone, but I take pictures every day on my smartphone. So when I get to visit my family member every day who has dementia, I've got a picture and we start the conversation. Hey, want to see my picture today? Mm-hmm. And we look <laughs> at the picture and we kick off the conversation from there. So you can have a prop. You can bring something you print out a funny story you saw or a joke you saw or something. Show up with something to kickstart conversation. Don't rely on questions to get it started. The other thing is, I mentioned this very briefly earlier, but people living with dementia process more slowly. So we need to slow ourselves down. We need to slow the rate of speech down. We need to just put one thought or one idea into a sentence at a time. One at a time is best. And we have great courses on communication at the Alzheimer's Society, and we have handouts and printouts. And all you have to do is email us or phone us, and uh, they can send that out to you or, or get you hooked up with information. Very good. Excellent. Well, you, Robin, how do people contact you? I think the best thing to do is to check out our website to start with. So the website is um, www.ca. Let me spell that because Alzheimer is tricky. A-L-Z-H-E-I-M-E-R-W-W.ca. And on our website, we have something called a program guide. You can just scroll down the first page. You'll see our Mm -hmm. program guide. You can click on it. It will tell you all our services, all our programs, all our education, what's being offered, the date, the time. You get the scoop. So you can get a ton of brilliant information off our website. You can also phone and make an appointment. I would suggest that you call and make sure uh, that somebody's available to speak with you. For example, if you came to the door of the office today, I couldn't come talk to you because I'm upstairs doing a a Zoom call, right? (laughs) So please, please phone ahead and make an appointment, uh, you know, before you show up. We have brochures, we have literature, we have all sorts of services that, that are available at no charge. Mm. free gratis and that's where we always thank people for donations that's what keeps us free we have to raise 60 percent of our budget every year that boggles my mind we raise 60 percent of our budget and we service there are 16,500 people in this little catchment area of waterloo wellington living with dementia which means because when you think those are the people living with dementia, have the diagnosis of dementia. Think of all the family and friends that are affected from each person that has a diagnosis. So lots of folks to service, but that's what we're there for. So don't hesitate. Uh, Call the society or check out the website. And for our listeners, audio listeners, all those uh, contact details will be in the description on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on. Very last question for you, Robin, from my side. Because because we have an international audience, 
Uh, am yes. I right in assuming you have sister type organizations in most of the most of the rest of the world? We do. There are brilliant associations. There's the Alzheimer's Association in the States. Check their website out. They've got tons of stuff. Australia has just an excellent, excellent website. And UK, I really love the Brit and the Scottish website. Um, the international websites are all valuable information online and can hook you up with services in person. And I, I cannot encourage people strongly enough not to go it alone. You know that old phrase, it takes a village. And I know that originally they brought it out when they were talking about raising children. But I tell you, elder care takes a village. Honest to Pete, you should never, ever be going this journey on your own. Please reach out. Great. Thanks for that, Robin. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much for being on the show today, Robin. I mean, it's been enlightening. It really has. Mm. And we hope to have you back at some point in the future again, because yep. there's so much more that we needed to chat about today. But thank you so much. And thank you also very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciated having you. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form and we would love to hear from you so until next time take care everyone bye-bye Bye.